a parable that we're be looking at here today, and hopefully some of you got the little preview of it I gave you up on Facebook. But we're actually just continuing on here in Luke. Luke has continued with some more parables that he covers here in chapter 16. We were in 15 last time. But this is kind of a puzzling parable for some folks. And we look at this, and I have to tell you, when I was looking at this beginning of the week, I said, well, I'm not real excited about teaching this parable. But, but uh, so now there's got to be more to it than, than just what we're seeing in here. But does Jesus teach us to be shrewd in business? Does he teach us that being shrewd in business is okay? Because it sure seems like from this parable that that's what he's teaching us to do. It seems like there ought to be something else going on in here. He put in the, in the bulletin for you the comic, the little, uh, little family circus thing. And in case you're wondering why, we have that one in there. Because somebody can be talking to you about a principle and you hear something completely different like they do in this, com- this comic. Little guy hears something completely different from what he's, he's being told. And we'll see that here in this particular parable is we're, we're gonna miss the overall thing that he wants to, to do. And for some reason this is not staying on me. We'll see if we can make it stay a little bit better. Usually it does pretty well. All right, we're not going to do much review because here at the end we're going to show you how a lot of these parables are going to tie together. Sometimes we look at Jesus' parables as just kind of a a one-off teaching on here, but it's not. You're going to see a lot of these things that are going to work together. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, Now before, just to give you the context on this, he was talking about the lost parables. Remember, he was sitting amongst the sinners and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were looking at him and saying, Why does he sit among sinners? Why is he always among the tax collectors? Why is he out there with, with those kind of people? And so he gave the parable of the, of the three lost parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, to show him that the heart of the Father is for the lost, that we need to be caught up with the lost. Now, he is still on this topic. There really is no break between chapter 15 and chapter 16, but he does say this. He also said to his disciples, so in addition to what he was saying with the parables to the Answer the, the uh, question, not really they brought up, but the, the question that was in the air. He also said to his disciples, now he's saying this to his disciples, but do not think that the Pharisees and Sadducees have gone anywhere, because you're going to find out later on here that they have overheard everything he says in this conversation with the disciples. So it's kind of like he turns to his disciples after addressing them and talks to them in a way that they also can hear. And so they're hearing this. So he said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Now this is a certain rich man. This is one in particular who had a household that was big enough to have a steward and had enough debtors that he needed someone to manage it. Now the steward, it says a steward here, doesn't say the steward. It may mean one or it may mean a group of, of stewards, and we're talking about one in particular. But the accusation is being brought. It must have had some merit, but really who accused him, how that all came about, how it was investigated, none of that is brought into the story. Again, this is the story that Jesus brings in, all the aspects of it that he wants to. It says he's wasting his goods. Now the parable before the lost son, we saw that he wasted the money. We're not really told how he wasted the money. We are not told how this man wasted the goods, are we? 
said he wasted the master's goods, somehow using the things that the rich man had entrusted to him for personal gain. But we don't know what exactly he did, and apparently it wasn't that important for us to know. So he's given a notice to get things in order. He's going to be removed. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. Now, how many have ever read this over before and you saw this in there? He's afraid that he doesn't want to dig and he's ashamed to beg. How many have seen that before? Did it ever ring a bell to you to say, why are those two things brought out? Why only two things? How many, how many types of employment could this man find beside digging and begging? Could you think of some others? Why is it that Jesus, in the story he makes up and brings in all the aspects of it that he wants, only brings in digging and begging? Do you think it might be important? Of course it would. I wouldn't be bringing it up to you, right? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. He does not have the ability to dig. doesn't see that's within his, his power. I am ashamed to beg. So he could beg, but I, I don't want to be begging too proud for that. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? So he said to him, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So he has no plans for the future. But now, he's decided, I guess I better get some kind of a plan for the future, because my future is, is uh, looking kind of bleak here. So the master commended the unjust steward, because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generations than the sons of the light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, surely you can see how it is very easy to fall into the interpretation here that he's teaching you to be shrewd. Look, the world is shrewd. You should be more so. But does that jive with anything else that Jesus has ever taught? So he commends the the steward's shrewdness, but he compares them to people that are not walking in the light. So is Jesus telling us to use money to make friends. I know we're all puzzled here. I'm not sure what Jesus is trying to say. Kind of important that we understand what Jesus is saying. Because if we don't understand what Jesus is saying, we come out with, with meanings, we come out with applications that have no bearing on our life and it's not helping us. Or we just take it, I don't know what this thing means, let's just throw it out and go on with something else. And then we're not getting whatever it is that Jesus has said. So, who might Jesus have in mind? When he talks about this particular steward, don't you think he's got somebody in mind when he's talking about this steward? He's addressing issues. He addressed the issue in chapter 15 with people who were not having a heart for the lost. He addressed the issue in just a little bit before that with the Good Samaritan. And that people said, how does one get saved? And we got up, people get off on the thing about mercy. But what he, Jesus showed them there was the law cannot save, sacrifice cannot save. But the one that the builders rejected, the one that was despised of men, comes along and he applies the needed things to get healing. And the one that was half dead was ministered to and brought back. So he gave that. 
that uh, sacrifice and the law will not get you to where you need to be, to the place to be alive. That was in Luke also. So who might Jesus have in mind? Well, this is the person who had a position with a rich man. This steward had a position with a rich man. He was given charge over his goods. He specifically to administer the debts owed. That's all that we really know of all the things that the steward did was there were people who owed the rich man money. And apparently, a lot of people owed him a lot of money. We're only told two, and I'll give you some of the value that they had. You can get an understanding of just how rich this guy was. We're told that he made deals to lessen the debt load of all. It says he called all of them. He called all of the debtors of his master. Called them all in. He doesn't do it because he loves them. He doesn't do it because he cares for them. He does it because he is concerned with his own future. He is completely selfishly motivated. Can you think of any parable in which Jesus taught about people that are over others who are completely selfishly motivated? How about the parable of the sheep and the shepherd? How about the parables that he told about that, the people coming in that were trying to pass themselves off as shepherds, but they came in through another way? They didn't come through the way of the word? They were false shepherds? So he has no love for the debtors. Basically, folks, he has no love for the sheep. Now, the two things he won't do, they tell us something. First off, he did not want to labor as many of those in debt did. The people that he would see every day, and they, they're out there, they're working in the fields, they're digging ditches, they're doing stuff like that, they're working hard. He sees how hard they're working, and they're coming, they're trying to present what it is that they owe. I don't want to do that. He doesn't want to beg or ask for mercy. You see some people out there, they got to beg and they got to ask for mercy. He doesn't want to do that. So there's got to be a, a, some kind of a meaning to this whole thing. And so in order to figure it out, we've got to unpack who are these people that are in the story. Now, first off, the rich man is someone who is so rich, so rich, that people are greatly indebted to him. I've, uh, I believe I, I wrote down, I thought I would have written it down by now. Uh, some, of the, some of the things that were there, the, the measures of oil comes to about 900, maybe 1,000 gallons of this oil, and it represents what I am told is about three years' wages. They owe about what you would make in three years. The uh, wheat represents about 900 to 1,000 bushels, and that represents about nine years of labor. Nine years of labor. That's a lot of debt. That's only two of them that we had brought out. This man has enough money that he has loaned out all this this stuff. The man is being dismissed because he has been unfaithful with his master's goods. Now, the first thing that we think about when we think unfaithful is he stole some. Isn't that right? Isn't that the first thing you think of when he's unfaithful? He's stealing some of the money. He's pocketing some of the money. He's dishonest with the money. But he goes out and he forgives. He writes all, all, all that in there. And they come, let's make yours 50% less. Let's make yours 20% less. And he went on, and that's all uneven. It's not even. It is uneven. He doesn't forgive them all the exact same amount. Seems like he had some favoritism there with some. A little bit more favorable to this one, a little bit less favorable to this one. The master is not upset 
at losing this fortune that he just excused in a day. That would tell me this. This man has not upset the master because he has stolen money. This man is doing something else. He is not stealing money because if the master was so concerned about money, he would not have admired the servant's use of forgiveness. He would have been very, he would have been more upset. What? You ripped me off before, now you ripped me off all the, he would have been more, he didn't get more upset. He actually got kind of passive about the whole thing. Which means the rich man has so much money, he doesn't care. Who can you think of that is so, so rich they just don't care about money? How many people, how, how many, how long is your list? I can only think of one person who is so rich they don't care about money. In fact, they pave streets with gold. They make gates out of pearls. That's the master, our master, the father. So if the, if the father is represented by a certain rich man who has all these debtors, who is the steward? The steward is someone who administers the debtors. Now, think back to some of the other parables. Who are the debtors in, in Jesus' parables? Let's, let's take a look at some of them. Remember when the, uh, he was in Simon's home and the woman came and she washed his feet, anointed them, and Simon was upset at this and he had a parable for him. Remember, we, just, we covered that here. Simon, a man had two people who were indebted to him, one a great deal and one a little. He forgave both of them. Who do you think loved him the most? Remember Simon's response? I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. Which means, in Jesus' parable, people had different amount of debts. In this parable, people have different amount of debts. In the parable with Simon, the master forgave the debts. Remember the other parable of the unforgiving servant? When he came before and he pleaded for mercy? A huge sum of money. And the man just said, you know what? Let's just forget the whole thing. Because he has so much money. Who does that, who does that sound like? Not that the person in this, in this parable. He said, look, just, just forget it. So he went out there and he demanded money, small amount of debt from someone else. And what happened to the large amount of debt that he had? It was no longer forgiven. The master in both of those stories forgave the debt. The master expected the servant forgiven to do the same. In this story, where is the forgiveness? Why in this story is the debt not forgiven? Did you ever ask yourself that question when you're reading this? All the other parables, the debt was forgiven. Why in this parable is the debt not forgiven, debt's reduced? Doesn't that strike you as a kind of a major change? That's a clue as to what's going on here. You see, the servant was not ministering the goods of the master, the rich man. Because the goods that the rich man were given were those that were given to the religious leaders that Jesus has been rebuking in these couple of chapters. He's basically saying, I put all my goods 
and all my debtors into your hands. And you have not done well. Now let's take a look at some of the things that Jesus said directly to the religious leaders. And some of the things that he would openly rebuke them and directly rebuke them with, he would say, you have put a greater load on the people under you than you can handle yourself. You have asked them to do more than you could yourself could even do. What does that sound like as far as a debt is concerned? That they have increased it. And we know that they did that because they would take one command and they would turn it into 20. They took the Sabbath and instead of the Sabbath being made for man through their laws, they made man for the Sabbath. They made laws so that you could, Jesus had a hard time with, in their minds healing on the Sabbath, but they had no problem in doing anything they wanted to do. But helping those who needed help, they were mismanaging the master's goods. Now we also know they had some problems with money and they were pocketing some things. One of the things that they would do in this is, is they loved the, the rules, the laws of uncleanliness. Because if you were unclean, then you had to come and bring a sacrifice or there were some uh, offerings that you would have to give. Either way, they made money. Now we all know the story of the cleansing of the temple, how Jesus came in on the Passover and all the tables were set up. That was set up at Passover, but don't think that just because it wasn't Passover, they didn't have their money-making opportunities set up. They had ways set up. But in the Passover, they would set it up right there in the temple because everybody needed their lamb and everybody needed certain things and so they would just have it there for convenience uh, during that particular time. But what they would do is they would increase the laws of, of, uh, of, un, of uncleanness. And so what you would have to do is you would have to bring offerings or you had to make sacrifices and buy the sacrifices from them in order to get over this. They were not laws in the laws of Moses. They were laws that had come up over the years. That they just kept adding things to it. So Jesus in the law, the, the word of God in the law would say, this is what makes you unclean. They would say, yes, not only that, but also this and this and this. So they would add to it. And so they actually put a heavier burden on the people. So what this man was doing was somehow he was messing with their uh, their loans and he was either increasing the interest rate or making it harder for them to pay it back. And so now all of a sudden he said, you know what? You've been working really hard to pay this back. I'm just going to lessen this. But there's nowhere in the Word of God that it ever says that our debt was lessened. What does it say? Our debt was paid. It was paid. They're mismanaging what's in the Word of God. They're not handling it right. There are two wrong ways for people to look at future security. And these two wrong ways coincide with the two things that Jesus said this man was not willing to do. Isn't that neat? There are two ways, and you, you'll bear this in mind. You may not be thinking of it right now, but I'm going to give you two ways that people make a mistake with Christianity, with salvation. Two ways that people always mess this up. The first one is earned righteousness. Works righteousness. I've got to earn it. Well, if I'm just not that bad, if I can just do some good things. How many times do we hear that from people? I've got to work hard. I've got to do some things. I've got to make God happy. So when I get to the gate, then my good deeds 
outweigh my bad deeds. Right? That's a, that's a misconception a lot of people have, but that's a, a work hard. This man said, I cannot dig. What are you saying is, is this? The laws that are out there, I can't, I can't keep them. I can't dig. I cannot put out enough effort to accomplish what I need to do. That's one thing. Earn righteousness. Remember the Galatians had a problem with that? Here's a second way. Uncertain righteousness. That's the second way. If people are not in a place of trying to earn righteousness, maybe they may have a little bit of both, but how many have ever heard this out of people's mouths? Well, are you going to heaven? I hope so. Right? Have you ever heard that? I've heard that from a lot of people. Are you going to I, I hope so. I don't think I did anything bad enough to, to have to go to hell. I hope so. When Paul writes about salvation, does he write, well, I hope you're saved. No, what's he say? He wants you to have the certainty that you are saved. First pitfall is earned righteousness. The second is uncertain righteousness. I am not sure if I'm going to heaven. And that's why this man says, can't dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I don't want to be in a place where I have to throw myself on mercy. No, we don't want to do that. But see, the gospel is received righteousness. It's received. The man in the parable who was forgiven the great debt received it. They received it. When Jesus tells the parable in Simon's home, the people received the forgiveness. These people in this parable do not receive forgiveness of a partial loan. They come into a conspiracy with the manager of the house. This man makes this deal with them, brings them on in. And if, look, if you ever say anything about this, you and I are both in trouble. Because you did it right along with me. Come on over here. Write this down quick. Write down your bill. Let's go. Let's get this done fast. And he does them one at a time. So he reduces their debt. But even that, he reduces un- unequally. God is not about us reducing people's debt. We are all ministers of the gospel. And we are not out there to reduce people's debt. What are we out there to do? Show them it's forgiven. Show them that Jesus Christ came and paid the price and that their sins are forgiven. Not to make them feel guilty. Not to make them feel bad. Not to try and make them, well, you need to give this up. You need to do that. No. He makes what they owe easier to pay off but also makes them accomplices with him. It's easier to pay off. I, I can see my way out of this one better than I could before. It don't matter how well you can see your way out of it. You cannot pay the debt that you owe as far as salvation is concerned. Jesus paid it. You just got to receive his. That's what we have to do. We have to receive his debt or receive his payment for us. Well, a kicker on this would be if Jesus, if what Jesus has in mind is this very concept if we could tell from what Jesus is thinking right here, if we could get into the mind of Jesus, that he is talking about this very concept of taking what is in the law and adding to it. Wouldn't that help us? If we could find something in the Word of God that Jesus would tell us that this is what's on his mind. We want to get to that place that when we fail, like he's talked about here in this parable, because money will fail you. Will money work out for you in the judgment? Nope. 
Well, all the things that you do in this, this world that were done for the show of men, that's not going to make it. Now, from what we know in this chapter so far, your money is not going to impress heaven. What is it that we know so far in just this teaching that Jesus has done in these chapters here in Luke? What is it that impresses heaven? What is it that gets heaven's attention? Go back to the lost parables. Remember, all the angels rejoice over one who returns. The father rejoices over the son who returns. Those parables taught us there is great rejoicing in heaven. And all the attention of heaven is brought to the lost who returns. So if you want to win heaven over, if you want to send stuff to the other side, what's the best way to do it? Win. Bring the lost back to the Father. What is this man doing with the lost? Who are the lost in these parables? The debtors. But this man is not bringing them to the Father. This man is saying to them, the, the, the rich man is against you, but I'm going to be on your side. Let's come over here. Let's quick. Let's reduce your debt. He won't know about it. They have not bridged the gap between the lost and the Father. They have not ministered to in that way. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to go out there and find the lost and let them know the debt is taken care of. You don't owe 80% of your debt. You don't owe 50% of your debt. The debt is paid off. We need to go out there and get the lost whether they're sheep that wandered off, whether they're coins that were mishandled, or whether they are sons who have returned. We need to welcome them. Not be like the older son. We need to welcome them. Come on in. Come on in. We're so glad to have you here. Don't be like the older son. I'm not going in. Don't be like that. Our attitude towards the lost, that's what will bring us over. He just got finished those parables. He's now in this. Do you think that all those things that he was teaching in those parables is off his mind? It is not. But he's going to say something that's going to really tell you that's where his mind is at. Verse 10. And who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in their unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true and trust the true riches? What are true riches compared to in God's eyes? What are the true riches? His word, his power. These are the things he's, he's given to the people to use. When he has his disciples, what's he give to his disciples? Power of his name. They went out and they taught. These are the things that are valuable to God. These are the things that he sees as he, not the money. And these folks are caught up with money. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? They have not been faithful in what is God's. And God gave them some things and they have not been faithful in it. No servant can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He's still speaking to the Pharisees. You cannot serve God and mammon. As long as you're going to look at your position as a way for you to pocket money, as long as you're going to look at your position as a way to extract things from the people instead of getting them to a place where their debt is forgiven and that unity 
is restored between those who are in debt and those who are forgiven. That's where you want to get the people that are in debt to the place where they are forgiven. And they realize the generosity of the rich man who will forgive debts. These were teachers of the law. But these were not positions given by God. These folks, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these lawyers, they were not in positions because God called them. They were in positions because man picked them. They became a Pharisee because someone in the Pharisee group said, Oh, I like you. Come on over here. Let's join our group. Someone, lawyer, I like you. I think you have the, the what we need. So they, they recruit them and bring them on in. God didn't call them. Money was their downfall. So why in the world is God going to trust them with his power, with his revelation, with his understanding of the word? This is why Jesus taught around them. They haven't been faithful with what is someone else's. God is not going to give them something of their own. Let's go on here in verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Whatever you guys think is worthwhile, God does not look on it as highly as you do. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. Now understand that. The law and the prophets were not until the cross. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's a lot of people out there that teach you the law and the prophets were until the cross. That when Jesus died on the cross, the law was abolished. That is wrong. This is out of the mouth of Jesus. When does the law stop? When does justification through the law stop? Or as a, as a, as a means that people try. When did it stop? With John. With the ministry of John. That's what Jesus is saying here. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. In other words, you guys are not with the program. You guys are holding on to the old old stuff. You're trying to go back to things that God says, no, we're moving on from that. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Now, the message has changed, but you guys are not. You're falling behind. You need to listen to the voice of of God. You need to hear what the Spirit is saying. You can declare what you want as truth, but it will not stand like the rest of the Word. They are declaring things to be truth, and Jesus is saying, the Word of God will stand, but your Word won't. What you say won't. Now then, look at verse 18. It looks like Jesus just took this verse out of nowhere, And just brought this thing on in. Why in the world are we talking about this? Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Why in the world do we bring that out? Have you ever read over this this chapter and thought, Why is Jesus bringing this up? Why are we talking about divorce and remarriage? How did we go from the rich man, the steward... The forgiving of debts. How did we get to the to this? All Jesus did was he picked an issue, one issue that they had taken to an extreme. One issue. That was it. Because here's what they taught. God meant marriage to be forever. But Moses allowed for divorce. And so, you know, they came and they questioned about that. Well, Moses allowed us to have divorce. 
uh, or Moses, uh, uh, they said something a little, a little stronger way. And Jesus said, well, he permitted you to have a divorce, but that wasn't the, the intent. So what happened was Moses said, in the case of adultery, all right, we can understand the divorce there. Well, they took that beyond that. Here's what they did. This is what the Pharisees and all these guys did throughout the years. They decided that anything that would make the wife unclean was grounds for, for divorce. If they determined that the wife had become unclean, it was grounds for a divorce. They also determined this. If you have decided that another woman is more attractive to you, that would make your wife unclean and grounds for divorce. If your wife was barren, then she would be unclean and that would be grounds for divorce. If your wife had a fight with you, she could be declared unclean and that could be grounds for a divorce. This is how they were living. What Jesus is doing is he's bringing up a very sensitive issue because at this point right now, there are two schools of thought. You would classify them as the conservative view and the liberal view. The conservative view is what Moses said stands. The liberal view is all those other excuses I just gave you, plus a bunch of others, that's the truth. And so some people said, I like this liberal guy. He's, he, they didn't call him that, but I like this liberal guy. He's good. I, 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 can, I can sense an anointing on his words. <laughs> so they would accept that because that gave them grounds to divorce their wife if they felt like it they found somebody else that they decided was more attractive. And so this, this debate was going up. So he throws this in there to show you, you guys have mishandled the word and you've gotten so far out of it that you have completely lost what God said. And now you guys are just going around handing divorce papers out all over the place and you are causing people to get into adultery. Because in this day and age, if the woman wasn't married, she didn't have too many ways that she could make money, that she could survive if she could move back in with her parents, then she would have to find someone else to remarry. And Jesus is saying, you are forcing other people. You are forcing these people into a life of adultery. He was upset with them because they had done that. You see, they were the people who mismanaged. They were the mismanaging stewards. It was the rich man. It was the rich man who was the, who was the master, Jesus. And they... We're administering. What he is saying is, it's time. I am calling you out and you can no longer be steward. Is it not true that very soon these folks are all going to be out of a job? <laughs> Jesus knows the day is coming. The temple is going to be destroyed. Rome is coming in. He's already predicted it. There's not going to be one stone left on top of another. This place is going to be destroyed. He's already predicted it. The day's coming. He knows it's coming. And he's saying, I've already removed you. Go ahead and get your affairs in orders, but I've already removed you. Now, he's saying here to these guys, the rich steward, in, the, I'm sorry, the, the steward in my story, at least had the sense to back off on the rules and regulations he was throwing on the people so that when they were thrown out, they would have a place to go. But you guys don't even have that much sense. You guys are not even that shrewd. That you could do something that's not right and won't help them. You won't even do that. Now, he's going to go on to it. We have to go on to this other parable. You cannot really hit that parable without hitting this parable. 
They go, they go online too much. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. How many have ever read that scripture before? I'll bet you, you have never read that with what I'm going to show with you here today. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment and Hades, he lifted his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in cool water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, the rich man in the, in the previous story was God the Father. Now we got another rich man. Any uh, question that this is not God the Father? No, this, this is not God the Father, is it? Because this particular rich man goes to hell. Right? He didn't live well. Now, who is he talking about? The unfortunate part about this is, unless you really do a, a, a study on what he is saying, you can miss this because we don't live in his day. But the people living in Jesus' day right now, they know exactly what he's talking about and who he is talking about. There is no doubt, and I'll show you why. First off, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Purple and fine linen. Those same words are used in Exodus 28, 4 through 6 to describe the robes of the high priest. Now, if you're wondering how can it be the same, it is simply this. You go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, and in the Septuagint, in this, it uses the exact same wording that is used here. The robes that he has just described are the robes of the high priest. He says that he fared sumptuously every day. How many have ever read that and just thought, well, he ate well? Anybody ever read that and just thought, well, he ate well? Ate well, had a good life? Except the wording here is very interesting. This wording, fared sumptuously every day, is the same wording as in Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 7, in Leviticus 23, 40. In some translation, it says, living in splendor. It is a highly interpretive translation from what I am told. A more literal translation of this phrase is, rejoicing by lamp. I'm sure that cleared it all up for you, didn't it? Rejoicing by lamp. Do you know that in the temple there are some very intricate lamps? And this can this can is used to describe what the high priest would do in the celebration in the temple. How he was dressed described a high priest. What he did described a high priest. Who do you think Jesus is targeting? There's more. So, let's, um, let's, let's finish reading this again. Verse 21. Desiring to be... Well, let's go back to 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores. He wasn't in good shape, was he? Full of sores, laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. What's the difference between the condition you see of Lazarus here laying at the gate and the condition 
of the man who made the journey on the road to Jericho? This man has sores. This man's in bad shape. This man is starving. Doesn't quite describe him as half dead, but this man is in bad shape, right? Just like the other guy. He, he just wants some kind of help. The high priest in this story, what, off, what help does he do? Nothing. He offers as much help as in the Good Samaritan story with the priest and the Levite, doesn't he? Now look at this. One more thing, verse 20. Who was laid at his gate. Why did they lay the man at his gate? Well, the reason that you do that is because he can't walk. So he has to be carried. He's laid at the gate. What is interesting to note is this particular word that is used for gate. It does not mean exclusively this, but it is used very often for this. Do you remember when, when Jesus was taken to the high priest? And do you remember that Peter was out by the... Do you remember? Out by the... The gate. It's the exact same word that is used there. How many people that Jesus could be talking to that are rich have a gate like this? How many people that Jesus could be talking to are dressed in the robes of a high priest seem to perform some of the duties of joy in the temple and have a gate like is that the high priest? You see, we can read right over all those, all those things and these people said, oh, I know who you're talking about and that is not all that he did to tell who he is talking about. In fact, he's not even talking about the position of high priest. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. He wants the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. How many other tables are in Israel? How many other tables are out there in Israel that he could ask for crumbs from? Probably a whole lot. But they lay them at this gate. Why in the story did he keep laying them at this particular gate? Because we're waiting for this man to come out and to help this one who needs help. And the high priest is doing what? Nothing. He is doing great himself, but we're not out there helping anybody else. The dogs came, licked his sores, so it was the, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. If you could be in the room, this is one of the ones I want to go back to the videotape. I want to watch this when this happens because he is saying right here, we're talking about the high priest and the high priest goes where? To hell. Ooh. Has this story ever come across to you that strong? He is telling them the high priest in my story is going to hell. Well, that could be any high priest, right? They all lived in this place with the gate. And now he's in torment in, in hell, Hades. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have, it's amazing, isn't it? We think that in heaven everybody will know each other's name. Apparently in hell you do too. Because when did this man ever meet Abraham? But he knew Abraham. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. How much help did the rich man give Lazarus 
when he was laid at his gate every day. No help. And now he expects Lazarus to come and help him. Isn't that interesting? Boy, what kind of a stinky attitude do you have to have? You are in hell for what you have done. And you still don't come to the realization that you need to change? Let Lazarus come on over here. He's doing all right over there. Let him come on over here and help me out. Well, that's uh, verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now, don't think for a moment that anybody that you know who's gone off into heaven is able to have conversations with people in hell. That time stopped when Jesus Christ was resurrected and took the captives who were captive and led them up into heaven. Abraham's bosom is no longer inhabited. They're in heaven. They were taken out because the the price was paid. So Abraham's bosom is empty. Hades is still full of people and people are still being added to it. So that conversations, they're not going on anymore. But he says, look, you had good things in your life. Lazarus, not so much. Beside that, I can't cover the span between here and there. That's not going to happen. Somehow he expected that this would just go on. Verse 27. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. All right. Now hold your hat on for this verse. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Lots of stuff inside this verse I want you to see. First off, how much have the religious leaders been concerned with the lost? Isn't that what Jesus is teaching this whole thing about? They don't have the concern for the lost? Now, the high priest is in hell. Is he concerned for the lost? Only those in his family. Not all the lost. He is only concerned for those in his family. But look at this. I have five brothers. I have five brothers. What you have right now is you have a high priest who has five brothers. Could you identify that? If we were to say, call it this thing, and we were to say, well, there's a president and he has so many siblings. Could we narrow it down? We can probably figure it out who, who we were talking about. Well, this president has this many. This president doesn't have many. And, you know, we can narrow it down. Yeah, you can narrow this one down too. It's not that hard. It's uh, In this particular case, you're going to know this name. The rich man, the high priest in this story, his name is Caiaphas. You all know him from the word. Caiaphas is uh, the son of Annas. Annas had a, a number of, uh, of sons that would give him five brothers. I'm going to read your names for you. Eleazar, Jonathan, Theophilus, Matthias, and Annas the Younger. He had five brothers. Caiaphas is the man he's talking about. He is telling the story of Caiaphas and these people in this room, they know who he's talking about. What Jesus is saying is this. Talk about calling people out. The high priest sitting there right now 
is on his way to hell. And he is going to get so caught up that he's going to want somebody to come back and tell his five brothers about salvation. This entire family is in religious leadership. In fact, I believe it is said that all the brothers actually served at some point in the high priest area. I think I saw that that note about that. Let me read this for you in Acts chapter 4, verse 5 and 7, 5 through 7. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas. Now, if you're wondering why Annas is called the high priest there, there's a huge story that goes on. I'd love to get, we got into it one, one year. Annas was the high priest. He was removed because of his behavior. Caiaphas was put into the office of high priest because Annas said, I'm going to put my son in that place instead. And very often he was still acting as high priest. Do you remember that Jesus, when he was brought, was brought to Caiaphas and then to Annas, his father. He was brought to both because there was this dueling thing going on. Annas still saw himself as the high priest, but Caiaphas had the title. Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered at Jerusalem. All that family, that high priest family was gathered at Jerusalem. And Peter and John got to be in front of them all. We've got to finish the scriptures here. He says, I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. I don't want them to come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now, if you think he's been hit hard so far, listen to this. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. How many have ever read over this story and thought, why does Jesus use the word, the name Lazarus? That's his friend. Why does he pull, of all the names he could pick, we're making up this story, why pull out Lazarus? Because Lazarus came back from the dead. And do you remember what the high priest and the rulers wanted to do with Lazarus? They wanted to kill him. In fact, at one point, they wanted to kill him and Jesus because they, he had risen from the dead and testified of the power of Jesus. Jesus hit hard with this story. He was not playing nice at all. He has been coming after them. He came after them with the lost parables. You guys need to get a hold of being ministers to the lost. And he let them know. Then he told them, he says, look, you've been mishandling you have been given charge of the things of God and you have been mishandling those things. And now, just so there's no doubt about this, I'm going to give you a story. Let me tell you a little story about a high priest who died and went to hell and wanted to send people back to minister to his five brothers. And Abraham said no. He says they have the law and the prophets and if they won't hear them, neither will they hear one, though they rise from the dead. So what do we take from all these parables? Well, we have access.
to those who are in debt to the master. You have access to people that are in debt to the master. How will you deal with them? How will you treat them? Are you going to try and reduce their debt? Or are you going to bring them to a place where they understand their debt has been wiped out? You can even deal with them to increase their debt. Maybe some people go over to them and say, well, you not only have to do this, you've got to do this, 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 and this. And as we told you, parable of Jesus told with Simon about forgiveness. Now, if you go after and try and increase the debt of other people, that'll get you fired. As a steward, that'll get you fired. Remember the Good Samaritan? The law and sacrifice, they won't save you. The faithful and the unfaithful servant. We went over that parable. The second will get you called shrewd. Increasing the debt will get you fired. Decreasing the debt will get you called shrewd. But not saved. Get you called shrewd. Increasing debt, that'll get you fired as a steward. Decreasing the debt, you'll be shrewd. But we're not after shrewd, are we? We want to do something more than that. The one that will get heaven's attention is the one who brings people to a place where they understand the debt is forgiven. When the lost son came home, was he in debt? No. No, the father treated him. Come on, bring everything on out. Get the robe. Fix them all up. Let's dress him up nice. Let's put the ring on his finger. Let's get him going. That's how God wants us to respond. How is it that you respond to the lost? Are you going to respond in a way to increase their debt? Are you going to make them feel bad for their life and how they lived and what they're doing? Are you going to get them to where they, they you reduce their debt? Now look, you know... Just do this, 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 and this. Or are you going to bring them to a place where they understand that God has forgiven them and that you are restoring them to the Father? That's what he wants. That's what will get God's attention. That's what will make you a steward of the household in which God will say, you have been entrusted with a little. Now I'm going to give you much. How are you handling the lost? A lot of times we want to look at all the things in life that we can do that would impress God. How I'm walking in the spiritual gifts, how I understand the word, all these things. And really the thing that gets his attention the most is how are you handling the lost? He gets so concerned about this that he even calls out the position highest in the land. How much do you think this was on Annas and Caiaphas's mind when Jesus was before them on trial? You t- said, we're going to hell? Let me show you some things. Let me show you a little bit about what hell can be like. And they came after him. Jesus was never afraid to answer a question. He answered these questions for these people. He let them know where they were. And you need... He told him, you need to catch hold of the lost. So much so that when we go into a restaurant 
we think of the lost. When we go into the grocery store, we think of the lost. When we are walking around on the parking lot and we see people, we think of the lost. We talk with them to find out. If they're not lost, they're born again, encourage them. Do some things to, to encourage them and, and to help them along. Because how we deal with the lost is important. We've set you up as a goal this, this month coming up. Find some guests. Find some people you can invite out. Find some people that are lost. Don't just look for, for friends. Well, I've already invited all my friends and I've already invited all my relatives and nobody wants to come. Good. <clears throat> we didn't get to this parable yet, but you remember the parable of the, of the feast? The people who are invited, they didn't want to come. So what did he say to do? I don't care who you get. Go out to the highways and byways. Find people and bring them on in. And when we start seeing people coming in off the street and they got a lot of street problems coming on, how will you deal with the lost? Will you increase their debt? Will you decrease their debt? Or will you show them a life of one who is forgiven? One will get you fired. One will get you called shrewd but not saved. I know which one I want. I know that all heaven's attention is focused on those who will win the lost, who will bring the lost back to God. All of heaven. The enemy is constantly telling us, you don't have what it takes. People won't listen to you. They don't want to hear what you have to say. Oh, but they do. There's people out there that are lost. There are Lazaruses that are at our gates. And we need to look for them. There are travelers who are going along the road who got beat up and are left half dead on the side of the road. There are people out there. We can minister to them. We can help them. Would you all stand up with me? All these things that we could do, which one is going to help you the most with your future life? Jesus spent a lot of time here talking about how we're ministering to the lost, how we're helping them out. Because he knows that's what gets heaven's attention. You don't get heaven's attention by nice flowery prayer words, nice phrases. You get heaven's attention by doing what the Father wants. We need to be all encompassed with this. Just, I keep thinking, I'm at work. I'm walking in the parking lot. I've got to keep constantly thinking. There are lost people around me. Go out there and begin to have a conversation. You can't go up to lost people and just say, Hey, you're on your way to hell. And that doesn't work out too well. But have a conversation with them. Find things that you can talk about. Strike up any kind of conversation. And then begin to Talk about Jesus. God will give you the, the way to do it. You have been given things of the kingdom. Remember the parable of the householder? You had the things of the householder in your possession to administer the work of the household. Well, Father, I thank you that we are called to that ministry of being a householder. We are called to being in that ministry of a steward. We are called to handle your gospel. And we're not here to be preaching some old thing Get under the law. But we are here to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And as Jesus said, this is what we need to preach now. We need to reach out to those lost people. 
the sinners, the tax collectors, the people that are despised by others. And we need to love on them. I thank you that your love that you have put in our hearts is so strong that it wants to reach out to them and it wants to help them. And we will do so. Thank you for it. Keep us mindful of it. Keep reminding us all through the week. Look around. Find them. Has someone been laid at your gate that you can help? Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hope you enjoyed that That look at that parable. That, that parable maybe won't be quite so difficult for you. But uh, tomorrow we have a, a teaching coming out. Um, I looked at some of the new things we're going out. Rayma has their, their, uh, had their camp meeting going on this week, and I didn't get to look at too many of them. I looked at a few. Didn't really find anything that was uh, interesting to throw out there for you. So I went back and got one that I had saved up. This is from three years ago. Uh, it's from Jim Hockaday again. Uh, but it was a great, <clears throat> a great topic. It's teaching you how you are the temple of God. We've taught you that here a number of times. I haven't gone over for a while, so it's a good thing to review. And what benefits that has for you to understand that you are the temple of God. So that's, uh, it's up on our YouTube page now if you want to go up there and take a look at it. And the link will be going out at the normal time. And the text messages and the Facebook, that will be happening tomorrow. On Wednesday night, we start with the last word or ode that uh, Zechariah has for the people of Israel. It starts with uh, chapter 12, goes into 13 and 14. All that will be, be going on there on Wednesday night. If you uh, can make it on out, we'd love to see you. If not, you can always tune in uh, later on. Next week is the picnic. And like we have uh, always said, if you have some people and you'd like to invite them on out, feel free to invite them out to the picnic, have them come on out here to church follow you over afterwards after we get done the service we'll give you the gps we'll give you the address if you uh, don't know your way there or you can just follow somebody you already know your way there that's fine you can bring clothes and change here if you want to you can head home and change there and meet over there all kinds of things that you can you can do we want to make it as easy for you as you can but it'll be uh, right after the church service is over you can head head over that way and we will have that going on in the uh, afternoon pool will be open bring a swimsuit if you want to enjoy the pool if you just want to sit on the side, that's fine too. Or uh, if you have some chairs that you can bring, some outside chairs, it does help to do that. We have some outside chairs, but not enough to handle everybody who might uh, want to come to that. So we'd love to have you all come on out. That'll be going on on, uh, on next Sunday.